All right, let's open up our Bibles to James. James chapter 1. If you are visiting, this is, you're in a good place because we just started, so you only missed one week in our new series going through the book of James. So we are at James chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 5 through 11 this morning of James chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, as I said, we have some over on the table. We also have those journal Bibles that you can follow along with us. Well, let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Thy word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Dear Abby, and it's not something that I say at home with my lovely wife. It's a very well-known advice column. It was founded all the way back in 1956 by uh, Pauline Phillips. And she went by the pen name of Abigail Van Buren, a.k.a. Dear Abby. Since then, her daughter, Jean Phillips, owns the the rights to the pen name. She has the ongoing of the uh, advice column. Uh, As they even describe it online, it offers sound, compassionate advice delivered with the straightforward style of a good friend. And it deals with a wide range of topics, relationships, career, finances, a jealous wife. I read one this week because I went back. I was like, what's Dear Abby teaching us today? And there was a a couple, they're a little bit older, and new couple moved into the neighborhood, uh, husband and wife, and they were fairly young compared to them. And her husband was enamored with the new wife that just moved in. So this younger 20-something wife, he was going over doing yard work for them, and she was like frustrated. Do I need to say something? What should I do? And like she gave her some kind of like really weird advice with regards to it. But that's kind of what you see in these advice columns. And it's not just Dear Abby. There's Ask Ann Landers. There's talk shows you can call in. And what we, I think what it points out is there is an ever-growing need for understanding in our world, for wisdom. I mean, life is extremely difficult, is it not? It's complicated. It can be a mess. We need help. We need direction. We need that outside of ourselves, and we need somebody to give us guidance. But here's the good news, friends. We have a much better, much more reliable source for wisdom than the syndicated advice counts. No need for Dear Abby. uh, No need for Ann Landers. We have God. Dear God, the creator of heaven and earth, he has invited you and I to openly come to him when we need help, 
For from him we will receive wisdom from on high. This is true knowledge for living. So that's what we're going to consider today. This quest for wisdom. We're going to begin our time by looking at the need for wisdom. We're going to see that you and I naturally have a deficiency. And I know we don't like to hear that. I know we don't like to hear that we don't have it all together and we're perfect and we understand everything. No, the, the truth is that you and I need help. We need guidance. We need wisdom. And then secondly, we're going to look at the application of wisdom. That We're going to see that God's insight, God's guidance is going to be very countercultural, counterintuitive. It's really going to look at life upside down. So let's get started as we see the need for wisdom. Now, if you remember last week, we saw that the book of James, what book in the Old Testament did I equate James to? Does anybody remember? Proverbs. It's a book on wisdom. It's very practical in nature. And if you recall last week, it was practical because he gave us an example in real life. And that real life example was what? It starts with a T. Trials. That trials are divine blessings from God. They're used to grow us, uh, but only with the Lord's help can we understand that. You and I naturally will not look at a trial and say, oh, this is, this is good for me. It's going to mature me. It's going to produce character. It's going to produce steadfastness. Praise the Lord. I'm so glad I'm going through this trial. That does not come naturally. God has to give you insight. God has to give you understanding to look at a situation like that and say, wow, this is a God thing. And we're going to see that right here, that we need the Lord's help in that regard. Well, first thing we need to do in this need for wisdom is we are to ask God. We are to ask God. He goes on and says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. If we're going to ask for something, we must be aware that we have a need. Amen? We got to be honest. We, we saw God is not about us lacking in maturity in verse 4. He says, I, I don't want you lacking. So through the trial, I'm going to get you to a point where you're not lacking. We need to see our need for help. Let's go straight stereotype. Let's, 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 let's make this comment. Pre-smartphones and GPS, okay? The average man, you're going somewhere, you guys get lost. Let's totally stereotype this. Is the average man going to go into the gas station and ask for directions? Why? Pride, arrogance, I, I don't need help. I, I, I figured, hun, that's the third time we've passed that road. I know that, but I'm getting, I'm getting my bearings. I think a lot of times, though, and let's be honest with one another, we, we act like that. Do you understand that? We don't want, we don't want to acknowledge that we need help. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. He goes on and says, be not wise in your own eyes. I think it's vital for you and I to root out self-sufficiency self -sufficiency in our lives. That we need to see our need <clears throat> The context of trials brings out the complaints, fears, and that's what it normally does. So God needs to take over our eyes. He needs to take over our mind. He needs to take over our hearts and help us understand. Do you understand that? Well, do you see your need for help today? 
Do you see your need for wisdom? Do you see your need for direction? Because he says not only if you lack wisdom, let him ask God, we need to see that there's an abundance in our supplier. Do you see that? He says, who gives generously to all without reproach, it will be given him. Look who's going to. Who are we going to? God himself. Not others first. It doesn't mean it's wrong for you and I to ask a friend, a pastor, um, a neighbor, whatever the case is. That's not wrong. But part of the reason we don't ask is because we don't trust God. And notice the idea, it's this giving generously. It's actually the, the literal rendering. It's the idea of giving simply. No strings attached. No paybacks. It's that generous abundance in giving of wisdom, the kind of wisdom that God gave Solomon. We used to live at our old house, <clears throat> like right behind, uh, across the street, we lived by Subway. And we would sometimes go there because it was close, it was easy, but it would drive me crazy depending on who was making the subs, how much they would put on the sub. Like our favorite sub was the steak and cheese, and I would get so angry when like there was this one kid, I was like, give me the other guy. He would do like this partial scoop, and I'm like, show me the meat. Like I want to see the meat. And then he would also do this. The other random thing I like on my steak and cheese is I like olives, black olives. And he would take like four olives per six inch. And I would just like, come on, man. But then there was another person I think cost them lots of money at Subway. Because like there would be scoops, like the sandwich would be overflowing with steak and cheese. And I'd say, hey, can you put olives on it? And she'd be like, sure, let me put a can of olives. And it would just be all over the place. Friends, that is how God is with regards to his generosity in giving us wisdom and insight. Do you understand that? It says he gives generously to all. And notice what it says, without reproach, it will be given him. You understand what that means? It's the idea that God only gives the wisdom. He doesn't, he doesn't add on extra statements to it. And what I mean by that, you ask somebody, hey, can you help? Sure, I'll help you. No problem. It would have been nice if you would have told me last week. Yeah, I can help you, but did you have, why didn't you plan for this? Like, it's, it's, it's kind of a weird acceptance of help. Like, I appreciate your generosity. And that's what he's saying here, that God gives generously without that, no ridicule, no reproach. Hebrews eleven six. for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Well, do you have high hopes of God in prayer? Do you have high hopes of God? Because we are not only to ask God, we are to ask God in faith. Listen to what he says. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. It means trusting God in the asking. I mean, if you've worked at a company and they've ever done kind of like group activities, team building, what's one of those things they always do? The trust what? What's so scary about the trust fall? You can't see where you're falling. So, I mean, if I go here and I say, Shriner kids, get up here. You're going to catch me in faith. 
they're going to catch me. Is there a possibility they don't catch me? I don't know. Maybe. Kennedy, I'm not sure. God is telling us that when we ask, we, we, we got to have that kind of a blind faith that we believe that he not only hears our prayers, he answers our prayers, he's active. Remember what the context is where we're reading right now. It's the idea of trials. It means that God is going to guide me and lead me in the midst of the trials. Romans 8, 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what is to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So in that verse, it's saying that the Holy Spirit even guides and directs our prayers. That you don't even know what to pray, and he guides our prayers. It means that God is good, that his ways are good, that we can trust him. It means that we ask anticipation of an answer. We believe that God hears. I mentioned in the newsletter this last week, I think one of the reasons that you and I do not pray with fervency, with regularity, with faith, is we don't believe prayer works. We've tried it. We've prayed. We didn't get the answer we were requesting. And as a result, we kind of don't do it that often. But the prayer that he's talking about here is that constant, ongoing trust that you keep praying. As I was looking back at a journal, like it was funny to me when I saw these areas that I even said in my journal, God, I don't know if this is even working. I've been praying on this matter for so many years, and I continue to hear a no from you. And yet, God was at work. He was developing steadfastness. He was working in my life. So we see not only trusting God in the asking, we need to trust God by not doubting. Read verse 6 with me. It says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Is there ever going to be doubt, friends, as Christians? Nod your head, yes. This side of glory, so he is not saying that it, if you even have an inkling of doubt, God's never going to hear you, God's not going to answer you. Uh, don't, don't, don't be more religious, don't be more extreme than what James is saying here. That's not what he is saying. I and mean, we see the Father who's struggling in believing Jesus in Mark 9, 24. He says, I believe, help my unbelief. Another question with regards to this, is the person a believer or not a believer that he's addressing? And I don't think it's clear. No matter whether they're a Christian or not a Christian, I think the one thing that we can say beyond a shadow of a doubt is they are unstable. There is an instability in their faith. They're the person who's trying to cover all of their bases. Okay, here's my problem. What I'm going to do is I'll pray about it. I'll do the prayer thing because that's religious and that might work. I'll also manipulate situations because that can work. I will cheat, steal, lie, and do that. I'll practice worldly. It's kind of like let's try everything and hopefully something works. And he's calling that out because that's a worldly mentality. 
We see an example uh, of what it looks like when faith starts to waver. You remember the story of Peter? They're on the boat. Jesus walks on water. Peter looks. And it's really a remarkable passage in the Gospels. Because he sees Jesus. He says, if that's you, tell me to come on out. And Jesus says, come. And there's Peter, the only other person besides Jesus to ever literally walk on water. But as he walked on water, what happened? <laughs> it says, when he saw the wind, Mark, we're looking at Matthew 14, 30. When he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out. And then Jesus goes on and says, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt that's the kind of doubt he's calling out for you and I. That circumstances are going to wreak, or ha- wreak havoc on us as people. And you're going to encounter situations where your faith is going to be tested. It's going to be waver, wavering. And what he is saying and what he is hoping for, and in your life and in my life, is that we would have faith, that we would trust. God, I don't understand what is going on, but I do know this. You're sovereign, you're good, you work all things for my good, and I can trust you. And that is what he's asking and telling us today. Well, do doubts prevent you from asking? Are you struggling with belief? Let's, let's make it really practical. What is the biggest situation? What is the biggest issue, the most pressing thing that's on your heart and mind in the spiritual realm that you're dealing with? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's health and sickness. Whatever it is, is there a sense of unbelief there? Are you struggling? Like, God, I don't, are you, are you willing to lean in to God in that regard and trust him. Say, God, I, I don't understand, but I do trust you. So he saw the need for wisdom. He asked God, but you got to ask God in faith. Now, it seems like a really strange transition when we get to verse 9. He goes from wisdom and needing guidance to wealth and poverty. But it really isn't. You know Why? Because one of the main issues that this first century church was dealing with, they were dispersed in the area, was dealing with poverty and wealth. Because the vast majority of these people are poverty. They're persecuted, they're marginalized, and they're dealing with the consequences of that. So it is very relevant that they need wisdom and guidance in regard. And it also is, is... it's God's wisdom is so much against the grain. So what a great example of God's wisdom when it talks about wealth and poverty. Well, first of all, let's look who is exalted. He goes on and says, let the lowly brother. Who is the lowly brother? It is the poor. Remember, they're dispersed. They're persecuted. They would lose their jobs. They would lose their money unless they compromised If you remember when we went through the book of Revelation and we looked at the seven churches, multiple churches, poverty was the issue because the the Roman Empire was kind of really squishing on them. And that if you don't follow us, if you don't follow the emperor, you don't work, you don't pay, you don't get money. Uh, Revelation 2.9 says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich. This would have been the majority of the recipients, as I said. 
the outlier, the exception, would have been the rich. And yet he's, he's esteeming, it seems really weird, who's he esteeming? The poor person. And we don't do that. Did you ever see, watch the lifestyles of the poor and unknown? No, we did watch the lifestyles of the rich and famous though, right? <clears throat> I remember growing up watching that and, and I was fascinated. They would, a fa- these, these rich people would have a house that was so big that their doghouse I would have liked to live in. Like their doghouse is bigger than my house. It was, it was remarkable. And that's that, it's so countercultural. We, <clears throat> we esteem and value the rich. We, we pity the poor. Uh, case in point, I mean, what's the end goal of most people's lives in our culture and society? Get rich, right? Get wealthy. I mean, think about it. <clears throat> the lottery, right? I mean, people are run out all over the moment it gets like 400 million. Like, like that's the threshold. I don't play the lottery, but when it's 400 million, then it's worth it. Well, do you know what it's like to be lowly like that? Do you understand what it's like to be poor? But it's not just the poor. Notice the position, he says. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. He's saying that the lowly brother is in an esteemed state. Why? It doesn't make sense. Because they know who? Who do they know? Say it. They know the Lord. Jeremiah 9.24 says, But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. That's why the Revelation passage I just read says, You're rich. You see, they were marginalized. They were victims. They often wouldn't have food to eat. But what really mattered to them, what was so much more impressive, was that they were recipients of the gospel. That they had true riches. Philippians 3.8 says, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Why are you rich today? <coughs> and I'm not talking, I'm not talking about your bank account. Do you value Christ? Because that's where real riches are. And that's why this is so countercultural what he's saying. That you and I, we, we feel inferior if our bank account's not big, if we don't have money, if we're not popular, if we're not successful and all that stuff. At the end of the day, what matters, friends, is if you know Jesus. That's what matters. And we get so misguided, we don't see that, we don't understand that. We, we grow up in a culture where our pursuit is success and wealth and and, and making so much money that you'll be able to retire early and then you can live off that money and just live the good life. And I'm not saying you don't prepare for retirement. And as we're going to see in a little bit, riches aren't a bad thing. They're not evil. They're not the enemy in all this. But the point is we need to value what God values and the true treasure. Remember Paul, he had everything, right? He had 
as far as like religiously speaking, he was of the certain tribe and all that stuff. He says, I consider all that trash, garbage, rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. Would you share the same attitude? Because not only do we see who's exalted, let's look who's humbled. Read verse 10 with me. He says, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls, its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Now there's debate. There's debate over whether or not this person is a Christian. I would lean towards he's not because of the judgment that he speaks of. But it's possible regardless because it's a warning nonetheless. Because here's the issue. They have the same dilemma. And what is that? Does rich, being rich get you into heaven any easier? It doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, have you ever had that moment where you went somewhere, maybe with a credit card or maybe a gift card, and you went to pay, and it's really humbling, and they came back and said, it didn't work. And if you're with people, it's really uncomfortable and awkward. We're like, try it again. And like, no, I tried it four times. It's not working. I'm like, oh, must be security. It's privacy or whatever. It's safety. The truth of the matter is when we stand before God, you're rich or poor. It's, it's insufficient funds devoid of Christ. And that's why riches can be such a stumbling block. Matthew 19, 22 says, when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus told him, get him away, give him away. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly, truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. And that's why I said, friends, understand this. Wealth is not an enemy or evil. God in his wisdom often allows people to be extremely successful with their wealth. Praise the Lord. Missions exist. Churches thrive in our world. A lot of the reasons because God has blessed people with money. So don't, don't mistake in that he's, he's railing on rich and wealthy people. That's not wrong. What's wrong is when the, the pursuit of life is riches and wealth. What is wrong is that is your identity, that is your focus. Being successful is nothing wrong. Praise the Lord. I'm so grateful for people who God has blessed financially and we see generosity in their lives. We see the cross is the great leveler to all. Rich, poor, everybody needs what? Jesus. And that's why Ephesians 2 8 says, By grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works that anyone would boast. And I, what we see happening in this rich person here, whether they're a believer or not, is their priorities are not in order. Do you see how the cross levels the playing field? It highlights our need, but not only do they have the same dilemma, listen to the scary destination for the rich. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. Is anybody's yard starting to, because we haven't had that much rain lately, starting to have brown spots throughout? Yeah. Noticed it this week when I was mowing. I was like, oh, it's, 
It's not, and I'm, I'm still, I'm not watering my grass. Not judging you if you are, but that's not happening. Um, it's that idea. He goes on, for the sun rises with the scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls. Its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Ultimately, what he's saying is that, hey, rich people, you're pursuing all this. Guess what? You're going to die. You're going to pass away. You're going to die. Those riches aren't going to last. Money can't prevent that. Mark 8, 36, Jesus warns, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul for a man? What can a man give in return for his soul? And that's why this is a warning whether you're a believer or not a believer that riches perish. Matthew 6, 24, you cannot serve God and money. So money can be good, money can be a blessing, money can be a gift from God, but it can also be a huge stumbling block. It can be an idol, it can be something that we worship. Remember back to the trial theme. What he's trying to give them insight on is live life with an eternal perspective. The book of Ecclesiastes, a great book, kind of highlighting this tension. And Solomon, he says he was the richest person ever. And you know what Solomon said about wealth? The more you have, the more you want. He says it's chasing after the wind. It's a vanity of vanities. It's a, it's a waste. Well, do you see the fleeting nature of wealth and possessions? Are you living with an eternal mindset? You want to test that? Look at your life over the course of a week. And try to categorize the things you do, the way you spend your money, the way you invest your time. And I think it's going to be pretty eye-opening when you start looking at those things. Is this something that I'm pursuing worldly, earthly possessions, things that are going to decay, or am I thinking of things in an eternal mindset? Try it this week, and I think you'll be surprised at how often we get so distracted that we don't invest in the things that truly matter. Uh, Have you ever noticed when you go get gas, they'll have a sticker, and they'll talk about the auditor had been there, and they tested it? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Well, what ends up happening, even at the gas pumps, like, if they don't do that and test those things and make the companies uh, recalibrate their machines, that over time, the machines become inaccurate. They don't read rightly. So you might have got five gallons in gas, and you might end up with four gallons in gas. Every now and then, it actually goes the opposite direction, and you end up with six gallons in gas. So now they gave you free gas, and then that hurts the company. So in the midst of all of that, what they need to do is they have to recalibrate the machines. It's because of that, just the constant use and issues over time force it to need recalibrated. I think what needs to happen for us living in this world is we need recalibrated. Over time, we don't give accurate readings. We look at this world inaccurately. Remember, and we look at trials, and what do we see when we see trials? Frustration, inconvenience, 
pain annoyance. When we look at rich and poor, we look at rich and say, awesome, would love to have that. We look at poor and say, that stinks. I feel sorry for you. You understand? Like, we, we need recalibrated because we are not assessing the situations rightly. We are not looking rightly. We are not thinking rightly. Because at the end of the day, that's not how God views those situations. What we need is God to give us eyes to see. We need His Holy Spirit to impart wisdom to us. We need to look at through the lens of God and the gospel. We need calibrated, recalibrated. And because he loves us so much and desires us to live in light of him, he's willing to bridge that gap. He's willing to produce that kind of recalibration in our lives. And I think as we mature in our faith, as we walk closer with Jesus, as he conforms us more and more into the image of the Son, we indeed look rightly at things. We assess situations rightly. We think rightly. We believe rightly. And that is the hope and the prayer of our passage today. So let's pray and ask for God uh, to apply what he has spoken to us through his word. Father, we come before you right now and we do acknowledge this firsthand uh, just how much we need you. Uh, we acknowledge just how much uh, we are inadequate and yet we try so hard to be self-sufficient in all that we do. So not only do we ask for forgiveness, we, produce, we ask that you would produce change. That God, as we look at trials, that you would help us to, to see trials rightly. We pray that you would help us to see our need just in general. That we would be a praying people, but not only a praying people, a praying in faith people. That God, as we look at you as a big, sovereign, glorious God, it would impact how we pray. That we would believe and that we would trust that prayer works that prayer matters. It never falls on deaf ears. It always uh, comes before your throne and you move as a result. We pray even on the issue of, of wealth and poverty, God, that you would help us to look at, at that matter from an eternal, a biblical perspective. We thank you for those that you've blessed financially. We thank you uh, for those who have... Uh, been very generous with what you have given, so we rejoice in that. We also thank you for those who uh, have little, but yet you continue to provide and meet their needs. We thank you that the gospel is the great leveler of people, that whether you're rich or poor, uh, whatever the case is, we all need Jesus, and um, in Christ we can be saved and redeemed and forgiven. So we pray even now as we stand up and as we uh, close this worship song, store, uh, service uh, in song. We just pray, God, that you uh, would be glorified. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Would you please stand?